All right. Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? All right. Who's reading scripture today? We have anyone? Is it Miss India? It's Miss India. She got the mic. She's coming as well. Y'all give it up for Miss India. Clap long enough for her to get up here so we don't have that awkward moment. Yeah, just keep clapping until she gets to the stage. There we go. A little, little bit more cheer. I think right. I got us over the awkward moment. The right one today, the right one today. Yeah, I think so. What do you have, <laughs> Romans Roman? 9, 14 through 18. Oh, you own it today. I give it up. She's on it today. Good morning, Bethel. Good morning. If you got your Bibles, we are in Romans chapter 9. Uh, we'll be capping out in verses 14 through 18, so you can get there. It's on the screen as well. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold up. Hold up. All right, we're going to hold up. This ain't cutting into my sermon time. I'm just, <laughs> this is not the preacher. <laughs> this, is, this is simply the research. Y'all give it up for while she's trying to find that scripture. They, they, they met, I lost my book. Uh, I'm going to read it in English and then you Please, can find it in Spanish. You. Okay, how about that? All right, you guys ready? Yes. It's right here on the screen. How beautiful is that? What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Now in Spanish. You want me to do it in Spanish? Wall, uh, no, let me not hear. Okay. You stay in my lane. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Okay. Hoy estoy leyendo de la Biblia de la Reina Valera en la Revisión 960. Y dice así. ¿Qué pues diremos? Que hay justicia en Dios en ninguna manera. Pues a Moisés dice, tendré misericordia del que yo tenga misericordia y me compadeceré del que yo me compadezca. Así que no depende del que quiera ni del que corre, sino de Dios que tiene misericordia. Porque la Escritura dice a Faraón, para este mismo te he levantado para mostrar en ti mi poder y para que mi nombre sea anunciado por toda la tierra, de manera que de quien quiere tiene misericordia y al que quiere endurecer, endurece. Mm -hmm. I think I could have did that, Mike. I think I could have did <clears throat> Over at the Harris household, one of our children have been influenced by the swimming current in this church. If you don't know, many of the children here are competitive swimmers, and they are all pretty good. Well, my son, Dakai, uh, went on a swim trip with them and has been eager to join. $300 later, y'all. So if I ask to borrow 20 from one of y'all, we're supposed to be the church. That's all I got to say. <laughs> 
He has been working fervently at the YMCA to get his skill level up so that he can join. But he learned quickly, you can't just jump into the deep end. Jumping into the deep without training and preparation is dangerous and one could drown. Dakai has been taking lessons with a trainer to prepare him for the deep end. But he still has much learning to do. I assume no matter how good you get at this swimming game, you always have much to learn because even those who are advanced swimmers are still training and some of them spend two to three hours in the water a day. And those are the cream of the crop. Well, the Bible is like a swimming pool. It has a deep end and it has shallow ends. Our passage today will take us into the theological deep end. And we need to take it slow lest we jump in like the Kai and find ourselves kicking and screaming for help. When you truly grasp all the implications of what Paul is saying, you begin to realize that we have stepped off into deep waters. You begin to realize that there's no floor underneath my feet. However, my hope is that by God's grace, we'll be able to swim in the deep, the theological deep. My hope is to lose no one. I said no one. And I said no one again. But in order to do that, we must approach the deep end with humility. Remember, even the most advanced swimmers continue to train because they never truly arrive. What does that mean in the theological deep waters? No matter how much theology you know, you do not know everything. Theology is the study of God. And so it is impossible for the finite to understand everything about the infinite. If God was to download everything there is about him into your brain, it would blow up. So he has to give you himself in doses because you could not handle all there is to know about God. No matter where you land in this, you must admit, I don't fully grasp it all. And God ought to boggle your mind. He is the creator of the universe. I'm still trying to figure myself out, let alone know everything about God. And just because we can't know all about God doesn't mean that we can't know something about God. Today we find ourselves back in Romans 9, but what, but what is so deep about Romans 9? One answer, one word, grace. You say, what? Grace, pastor? We talk about grace every week. Yeah, yeah but today you're going to find out that grace is deeper than you think. It's not until you get to Romans 9 through 11 that you discover just how deep grace really is. That you discover it is deeper than you ever imagined. It is Romans 9 that reveals just how much we need God. It shows us just how much we need grace. That you discover that grace is deeper than you ever imagined. Romans 9 introduces us to God's grace in that it is deeper and more powerful than the human will. It is somewhat of a mystery how these two things work together, divine sovereignty and human responsibility, free will as some call it. To deny God's sovereignty is to deny God. 
To deny human responsibility is to embrace fatalism. These are two parallel truths, irreconcilable to the human mind, but both taught in the scriptures. But Paul makes it clear that human will does not stop divine sovereignty, even in salvation. We get a glimpse of this in the story of John Wesley. John Wesley, that 18th century evangelist, Methodist preacher. He was officially ordained in 1728 as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but by his own admission, he was not converted until 10 years later. Imagine that, a preacher preaching the gospel that he doesn't yet believe, preaching a gospel that has yet to save him. Who would have thought he would be preaching on both sides of the Atlantic and witnessing a growing ministry But Wesley, the preacher, was not saved himself. It wasn't until 1738 that Wesley got converted. He entered the cathedral at St. Paul in England and heard an anthem based on Psalms 130 and got saved listening to the Bible in chorus. Isn't it interesting? While preaching the gospel of grace, but not looking for the gospel of grace, that the gospel of grace grabs him before he grabs it. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is not only does grace meet you in time, but grace chose you in eternity. I like the way that sound, I'll play it back for you. Not only does grace meet you in time, but according to scripture, grace chose you in eternity. In other words, before you were ever born, God decided to save you. I figured you would be quiet, but here's the reality. Before you ever did anything good or bad, God had already declared that he was going to set his love on you. If you recall, when the curtains raised in Romans 9, it raises on Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. Paul makes it clear that the Jewish people have been loved and privileged by God. God has, in the words of one preacher, dressed and adorned the Israelites. He dressed them with his covenants. He added, he added the accessories of his promise. And then when God gets ready to put the crown on his bride, she raises her hands in rejection and says, we don't want Jesus. And this brings about a dilemma because God's chosen people have rejected Jesus. What's the dilemma? Well, as we have been learning through Romans, salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone. So how can God-chosen people, those whom he promised to save, how can he lose them? Why are Jewish people perishing? Is God a liar? Did God back out on his word? Paul solves this dilemma by pointing us back to Genesis. Look at verse 6. That to be God's child is not according to ethnicity. God does not save you because you are black. He doesn't save you because you're white. He doesn't save you because you're Jewish. God doesn't save you for any of those reasons. Paul says this, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Another way to say that is not everyone who goes to church is part of the church. Just because you showed up in this building doesn't make you a child of God. 
Not everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and who does miracles in his name will be saved. Just because you say your original chicken sandwich doesn't make you an original chicken sandwich. Y'all knew it was coming. Y'all knew it was <laughs> Just because you say you're original, <laughs> Woo! Okay, um, let me break it in. I'm supposed to be seeing something. Just because you say your original chicken sandwich doesn't make you original chicken sandwich. Well, Paul, if we are not saved by ethnicity or by our works, how then are we saved? By grace. But grace is deeper than you think. Paul gives us a story better than John Wesley to illustrate his point. Paul reaches back into Genesis to make his argument. He reaches back in Genesis to totally remove humans from the spotlight of salvation and thereby setting the scene for God's grace to shine. What's in Genesis, Paul? Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, and Esau. Well, what's so important about them, Paul? Well, the Jewish people believed God saved them because they were physical descendants of Abraham. Stay with me, church. But Paul says both Isaac and Ishmael were from the same father who is Abraham, but God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. What point are you trying to make, Paul? Let me take you back for a moment. Go with me there to the book of Genesis. I talked about this last week. Here it is. God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to give him a seed, that he's going to give him a child. And, 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 and he makes that promise to both Abraham and Sarah. Well, God was taking too long. And so one night, Abraham and Sarah came up with their own plan. And you know what happens when we come up with our own plan, when we don't wait on God and we say, God, move out the way. I'm going to do it my way. Many of us can relate in the room because we're still paying for some of the things that we did outside of faith because we wanted to do it our way. And so one night, Abraham looks at Sarah. The Bible says Sarah was fine, fine. Go read it for yourself. Find his wine. Find it in frog hell. Okay. And, and, and let me just talk about Abraham for a minute because, because Abraham was a little punk. You know, he, instead, of, instead of standing up for his girl, he said, listen, if we go over here, you so fine, girl, they're going to want you and they're going to kill me for you. That's how fine she was. Folks was killing, was going to kill him for. And so, and so instead of standing up for his girl, he gave, he gave her over. But anyways, that's beside the point. And so Abraham and Sarah is in a tent and they're talking and chit-chatting. And Sarah comes up with a bright idea and she says, hey. Won't you have our servant Hagar and make a baby that way? I mean, they didn't have in vitro. And so they had to go about this thing another way. And so Abraham sleeps with Hagar and out of that situation comes Ishmael. And God rejects Ishmael. And he says that I'm going to set my love on Isaac. What are you doing here, God? What God is saying is that the promise will not come by human works. The promise will not come by human strength. The promise will come by my divine grace. God is trying to paint a picture here. This is why he, this is why he waits until Sarah's womb is 
dead and that she cannot have any kids before Isaac comes into the picture. God, why would you wait for a dead womb? Because only God can raise the dead. Only God can cause things that are not as if they were. He's establishing that salvation is by me. But we still have a dilemma, though, Paul, because one would argue that, Paul, that, that God chose Isaac because Isaac and Ishmael didn't have the same mother, and God made the promise to Abraham and Sarah. So God chose Isaac because Ishmael had a different mother. Paul says, okay, I hear what you're saying. I'll give you one better. Isaac grows up. Isaac becomes a grown man. God comes to Isaac. God makes a promise to Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah. Bible says Rebecca was fine as well. And so Isaac and Rebecca, they now get together. They get pregnant. They didn't have an ultrasound. Thank God for God, right? And so God goes and tells them, hey, y'all having twins. And those twins was Jacob and Esau. And so God calls the same womb to be pregnant with the same, uh, God, 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 you almost messed that one up, y'all. God uses the same womb to cause two children to be in the same womb. And what is God doing? God is removing the argument that God chooses on the basis of ethnicity because the Bible says that God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. What are you doing, God? The Bible says before Jacob did anything good or bad, before Esau did anything good and bad, God chose Jacob. What is he doing? I'm showing you that I don't set my love according to what humans do. My love precedes anything that you do so that you can see that my love is not conditional. This is what he's doing here. Paul makes it clear that God chose Jacob before he was born. In other words, God chooses Popeye's chicken sandwiches over Chick-fil-A without trying either or. <laughs> Got him again to me that ain't see it coming. Before God, before God tasted a Popeye's chicken sandwich, God said, I choose Popeye's over Chick-fil-A. Is that fair? Can God choose someone before they are born? Can we be honest this morning? That's a dilemma in the, in, in the mind of humans. Can God do that and be just? That's what Paul says. What should we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Here's the question. Favor ain't fair. Is that true? Paul anticipated that we would have questions and problems with sovereign election. The first objection that all men raise when they hear that God chooses some and passes by others is that God is unfair or unrighteous. I experience this all the time doing ministry in my beloved city, Gary. If I decide to give three people turkey and not the fourth one, I'm a no good pastor all of a sudden. We hate it when people skip over us. And I'm going to just be honest, I'm going to be real. People hate it. 
And they getting their feelings when we playing Uno and I slap that skip you down. I ain't going to say no names. I ain't going to look at nobody. But when you say, you know, if you playing Uno, you slap that skip down. All of a sudden we got problems in the room. We hate it when people skip over us. But nothing get us in our feelings like the thought that God will choose some and not all. We say everyone should have an equal chance to be saved. If God is left to make the choice, man immediately concludes that there is injustice. Man forgets that nobody deserves salvation for all are sinners. Do I have to give a turkey to everybody? No. Is God unjust in choosing some and not all? We call this election. Paul calls it election. Election means the act of choosing. We know that Paul was teaching sovereign election or this question would not have been raised. Is there injustice on God's part? If election were on the basis of merit, foreknowledge, or human works, or faith, this question would not have been asked. If election was based on free will, which is what most of us default to until Romans 9 is presented to us, and I wish Paul would have brought up free will because it would make my job a whole lot easier. But let me ask a better question. Why do we have an issue with grace this deep? Grace that chooses us before we choose it. Choose it. Grace that is able to meet the, to meet the supply of its own demand because we have a misunderstanding of justice. We think there is injustice with election, but there is actually a misunderstanding in how we think about justice. We think the issue is out there, but it's actually in here. I learned this by driving my car with a bad wheel alignment. Initially, I thought the roads needed to be fixed. But as things got worse with my car, I realized the roads didn't need adjustments. My car did. The issue is not with Romans 9. The issue is that you need a realignment of your concept of justice. And when your realignment of justice is realigned, then you can ride down Romans 9 a little bit more smoothly. The issue is not Romans 9. And friends, it is better for your mind to be broken than scripture to be broken. The issue is that we don't see justice right. We don't understand grace correctly. How does Paul establish that God is just in choosing? Because the question is still out there. Is God unjust in this? Paul, how are you going to defend God on this one? This is not right. Everybody ought to have a fair chance. Favor ain't fair. Paul, how are you going to argue? And this is what Paul says. God can save whom he wants. For he says to Moses, watch the verse so you see that I'm not making it up. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So let me draw, you, draw your attention back to Exodus 33. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he's been hanging out with God. God and him been kicking it. And, and, and Moses is up in the mountain. He leaves for a hot second. And what happens down below? The Israelites create a calf made out of gold. And they start worshiping this calf. And Moses comes down and 
They perpetrated already. Don't judge them because we do it too. The moment we ain't getting what we want from God, the moment we're not hearing from God, we're flipping up. We're changing. We're changing our team. Just like Yahoo, who when Popeye's chicken sandwich came out, y'all flipped up on Chick-fil-A. And now y'all let them confession booths. He goes up in the mountain. He's spending time with God. He comes back down. The people of God has betrayed God. They turn their back on God. They're worshiping another God. And what does Moses, what does God tell Moses to do? Moses called for those who were on the Lord's side to join him. The Levites did so, which is why you have Levites as the priests. We don't have time to get into all of that. But these faithful men were commanded to slay the rebels and they killed 3,000 men that day. Rightly, all of the wicked Israelites should have been killed. But God in his sovereignty only allowed 3,000 to die as a warning to the rest. God, how did you decide who you're going to kill and not kill? Everybody deserved to die that day. Is God wrong for not killing all? Is God just in saving some? Here's Paul's point. Every person who has ever lived deserves hell forever. If God sent everybody to hell, that would be just on his behalf. If we want justice, we are asking for every single person to go to hell. And you and I know we deserve hell. Child, if you knew half the things that I've done, if you've seen half the things that I've done, if you were to go through my closet, if you were to go through my history, if God was to play Dexter Harris' life on the screen, you would say, how in the world is this guy up here preaching? All of us in this room fall short of the glory of God. No matter who you are, no matter what, no, 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 no matter, no matter what your background is, no matter how many degrees you got, no matter how big your house is, all of us deserve the wrath of God. How does God choose, choose whom he will spare and not spare? Paul quotes Exodus verse 15. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And we need context for this quote. When did God say this? He said it in Deuteronomy 32 when Moses asked to see God's glory. And just so I can park here for a minute, you ought to ask God to show me your glory. God says, no man can see my face and live, but he does agree to show Moses the backside of his glory to declare his name to Moses. And then says this, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. What is God saying? This declaration by God means God reserves unto himself. Watch it, church, lean in the right to grant mercy and compassion to whomever he desires. This is how Paul argues God is not unjust in choosing to grace some and not all. What he is saying is God is not obligated to show grace to anyone and he is not unjust if he chooses to show grace to some and not all. Why? Because God owns his own grace and he can give it to whom he wants to. Grace must be free like that or it is not grace. If you can earn it, please don't call it grace. If you can accomplish it by human works, please don't call it grace. 
So let me help you. If the owner of Popeye's, I'm with that, Kiara, I know. Let's say the pastor was the owner of Popeye's. And he chooses, <laughs> go on, take it down, because they ain't listening no more. Take his tone, take it down, take it down, take it down. <laughs> if, the, if the owner of Popeye's chooses to give 100 free chicken sandwiches to one school and not another school, is the owner unjust for not giving to both? The answer is no. He reserves the right to give sandwiches to whom he wills. We know Popeyes ain't doing that because they had a chicken sandwiches, but if they did have them. But on the other hand, if he decided not to pay his employees who worked all week, he is unjust. Why? Because he didn't give them what they deserve. But remember, grace is not something we earn or deserve. But grace is God accomplishing and giving you what human effort could never earn or accomplish. So if you're on the end that ends up with a free chicken sandwich, don't boast in yourself, boast in the graciousness of the owner that you actually end up with a chicken sandwich because he didn't have to give you one. You didn't, you didn't work for that chicken sandwich. If you're going to understand justice from a biblical perspective, we must remember God owns his grace and can give it to whom he wishes. Friends, grace is deeper than you think. Then someone would say, but what if a person wants to be saved? Does this mean they cannot be saved unless they have been chosen by God? The answer to that question is easy. If a person wants to be saved, they can be saved but they will not want to be saved until they are first chosen and called by God. This was made crystal clear by the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Stay with me. I want to show you this in scripture. Here's John chapter six. We love to quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But let's go over to chapter six. All that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven and not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let me slow down really fast to give you a little bit of context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's multiplied the loaves. We heard about that. We love that story. And now there is division amongst the crowd on whether he is the Christ or not. And Jesus says, hold up. Nobody's coming to me unless my father graced them to come to me. Let me keep reading. And this is the will of him who sent me. Watch it that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. God is giving things to the son. He's given them people. Now watch it. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41, So the Jews Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who father and mother we know. Look at that. They they get mad because they got no arguments and they want to talk about his family. That's what people do when they can't deal with you. They start pulling stuff. They, They start looking through your history, looking through your Facebook page, finding all kind of stuff to say. How does he now say? I have come down from heaven, 
Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Watch this. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Let me read it again. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Grace is deeper than you think. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is showing us that salvation is a work of God from beginning to end, not a work of mankind. Salvation is more of a work of grace than it is a work of the wheel. Grace is deeper than you thought. Salvation comes by grace and not by choice. Now look back at Romans 9, look at verse 16, watch what he says. So then it depends, here he's dealing with human will, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Did you see what he did? He says, it's not contingent, it's not dependent on your will, more so than it's dependent on the mercy and grace of God. God has to move in order for you to be saved or you will not be saved. Now, he says, the Greek word here for exertion is trek, and it's like a run requiring exertion. We are not saved by our will or choice or sweat, but we are saved by God who has mercy. Paul is like you being saved is not decisively because of your will, but because of God choosing to have grace on you. God didn't choose Chick-fil-A because it was a better bird, but he chose Chick-fil-A because he chose Chick-fil-A. So hear me, friends, when you look around and you see some of your friends and family members still stuck in sin, please don't conclude it is because you were smarter than them and that you had enough IQ and intellect to choose Jesus. God could have left you. He didn't have to reveal himself to you. Don't boast in yourself. Boast in the mercy and grace of God. God is literally taking everything away from mankind and setting himself up as the one who saves and not us. Totally and completely. The only reason why you're free from sin today is because God was good to you. We go around and say, we found Jesus. He wasn't lost. I give you one better. God found you. We say one day I decided to follow Jesus. Oh, yes. I decided to give him a try. Your no good self one day chose light when you love darkness. That came by you. Can you see without your eyes being open first? God has to open the eye in order for us to see. You say, where my will come in in this? God opened your eyes, you seeing Jesus, and the reflex of seeing Jesus is I want him because he's just that beautiful and he's just that good. You can't help but to come to him. Everybody who sees Jesus is coming to Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to convince you. Why does salvation not depend on human will so that we have nothing to boast about? If grace was on the shallow end, we would boast in our swimming because we know if things go wrong, we could stand up. God wants to make grace in the deep end 
so that you can't stand on your own two feet. You got to stand on his grace. Here's the point, church. If it is just as we want, if it's man deciding we want, then here's the reality. If God didn't choose some, heaven will have none. If God didn't choose some, heaven will have none. If God was to leave salvation to mankind and not intervene with his mercy, we would be like the fallen angels. What do you mean, pastor? How many fallen angels, AKA demons are saved? The answer, none. God could have chose not to save any of us as God didn't choose to save any of the fallen angels. Besides, none of us in our sinful state would ever choose God. We would not come to him. <laughs> if I was dependent on doing a ministry based on mankind, I might as well quit. The only way we get up and preach and we go to the streets is because we know that God is more powerful than mankind. Oh, you want it this way? A God that is omnipotent enough and omniscient enough to overcome your stubborn and rebellious heart. If Yahweh comes for you, he's coming back with you. That's the God that we serve. And the reason why Sarah did not have a son until she was barren, because God wanted to say from the mountaintops that even death, not even a dead womb can stop me from drawing mankind to myself. And if he can raise the dead, he can draw you to himself. Oh, y'all not with me yet. That's why he walked up to the tomb of Lazarus where Lazarus was dead. Oh, he could have raised him the first day, but he waited four days later. He wanted word to get out that he was dead, dead. And what else coming back? And what did he do? He walked up to the tomb. There was no life there. The Lazarus was unresponsive. You know that you're spiritually dead and spiritually dead people don't respond. Dead people don't respond. But when God speaks, he speaks with living power. And so when he said, Lazarus, come forth. In his words were power. And Lazarus raised up from the dead and he came forth. I'm trying to tell you that in your salvation, somebody preached the gospel. And in the gospel, God said, come forth. And all of a sudden, you came out of your pornography. You came out of your anger. You came out of your bitterness. You came out of your wickedness. You came out of your treacherous ways because when God says get up, you're going to get up. When God says live, you're going to live. That's why salvation must happen this way so that God gets all the credibility. Oh, I'm trying to preach it the way that I know it best. I'm trying to tell you that he causes the deaf ear to hear. He causes the blind to see. And I'm telling you, saving you is no problem for God. Let me pause here. Let me pause here. Let me pause here because a lot of people keep asking for miracles in the church. They keep saying, we want to see healing. We want to see arms put back on. We want to see such and such and such and such. And I'm all with that. I believe that God can do anything. There's nothing impossible for him. But friends, can I park my car here for a minute and remind you that your salvation is a miracle because you were dead and God made you alive. You didn't shout loud enough because you don't know how messed up and how jacked up you are. Can you believe you're in church today? Can you believe that you're praising him? Can you believe that you want to read the word? Imagine that. You ought to be shocked that you're sitting here today. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You ought to, you ought to be shocked 
You know there's a lot of other things that you'll be doing if it weren't for the grace of God. Come on now. I ain't going to start naming stuff. I'm just going to say, you know that you know. Come on now, level with me. Sleep would have got you. If God didn't choose some, heaven would have none. Why salvation this way, Lord? So that I can get all the glory. Friends, you in the Bible are just going to continue to have issues until you can come to grip with this fact that God does everything for his glory. God is just to the degree that he is faithful to his glory. The moment God is not faithful to his glory, God is a sinner. Let me explain. The first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That goes for God as well. If God was to put any of us or anyone before himself, God would be committing idolatry and far be it from God. And so God is working in salvation in such a way that he stays consistent with his glory. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, here it is, look at the rest of the verse. For this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. This quote from Exodus 9, 16 is part of what God wants Moses to tell Pharaoh before the seventh plague of hell. Within the warning, God tells Pharaoh why he was raised to power in Egypt. Why did you raise him up in power, God? All of Pharaoh's attempts to thwart Moses in Israel actually are the canvas for God's power to be displayed in his name to be proclaimed. There's some confidence for you, church. Nothing that people are trying to thwart to stop you from being all that God has called you to be is going to work because when God has decided to bless you, he's going to bless you. And God uses Pharaoh to show his people whom he chose to save just how deep his grace is. You don't know how deep God's grace is, friends. It is deeper than the Mariana Trench. It is higher than Mount Everest. And it is wider than the universe. And you say, Pastor, how do you know that grace is that deep? I know this because God has freely chosen to love people like me. Who would have chosen hell a thousand times before I, have would ever, before I have ever would have chosen God. He chose Moses before the slave trade became industry in Egypt to deliver his people. We see this all through scripture. He chose Joshua before the spies decided to walk out on the job to lead his people. He chose David to be king, the one whom the Messiah would come through. More than that, he allowed the Messiah to come through his adulterous relationship. Grace is deeper than you think. God pre-picked Jeremiah, although Jeremiah was a schizophrenia and he kept his resume in his back pocket and he didn't want to preach to God's people, but God chose them anyways. God chose the 12. You remember the no good 12 disciples, Peter, the one who will cuss you out and then say hallelujah the next minute. God 
chose him. God chose Rahab. I know we're in the same culture, but God chose Rahab. Although she was a prostitute, God still decided to love her anyway. Y'all don't know how deep grace is. Oh, let me keep going. Y'all don't remember Jonah? Jonah kept running from his grace, but what happened? Grace kept running after Jonah. Grace is deeper than you think, friends. You remember the woman that was caught in, in adultery, and Jesus does what? He washes her with grace. You remember arrogant Nicodemus. He was no good neither, but God decided to show him grace anyways. Grace is deeper than you think, friends. And if it had not been for the depth of his grace, there's no way in the world I'll be saved today. I'm in my seat after this. I'm taking you guys back to Dakai. Y'all remember Dakai? He jumped off into the deep end of the pool and he started drowning. But once he got his skill level up, he was able to swim a little bit. He was able to float a little bit. But whenever Dakai gets tired, he's able to swim over to the wall and pull himself up for air. And if that doesn't work, he'll swim over to the ladder. I love that ladder that goes down into the water and clam up out of the pool. But friends, we jumped into a pool that ain't got no boundaries, a pool that ain't got no ladder. So all of us are drowning in grace upon grace upon grace. So we sing. How else do you respond? to such grace, a grace that found you before you found it, a grace that came chasing after you when you were running away from it. How do you respond? A grace that pierced through the darkness into your heart and shone the light of Christ. How do you respond to that? A grace that walked into your prison, broke off your chains, opened your cell door, and said, go free. How do you respond to that? We say, sing, sing, O barren land. Water has come to the thirsty. Father in heaven, we thank you. The grace is deeper than we can ever imagine. It tackles us and it wraps his arms around us. Your grace wipes our tears away. Your grace doesn't just pay for sin, but it removes the guilt and the shame that we feel from sin. Grace doesn't say that God loved you because you finally decided to get it right. Grace says, I loved you before you decided to get it right. It is a grace that has met us in eternity. And it is a grace that is keeping us in time. All glory and all praise be to that God and to him alone. 